All right. Today we have an awesome guest, a good long friend of mine, Sean Hello. Modry. What's up, Sean? Sean. What's up? Hey, guys. Sean. How are you? Yeah, yeah. So Sean has been in the real estate space for well over 20 years. He uh, is, uh, operates out of Boulder, Colorado, has absolutely crushed it there for a long time, is absolutely a legend in the space. Uh, long time KW has gone and built off his own brands, had a ton of success there. Uh, Inman coach of the, uh, one of the top 10 coaches of the year in Inman in 2020 yeah. and 2021. And is just has, you know, accolades on accolades and accolades in this particular space. And so if there's uh, anything else we want to sprinkle in along the way, we can definitely do that. So, but anyways, good to have you, Sean. Thank you so yeah, much welcome. for joining us today. Thank you guys. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an honor to be here and uh, what you guys are doing is so ahead of the game. So it's, it's just great to be awesome. part of the group. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So let's actually start off there because um, such probably a unique space for you because I mean, you're one of the, I, that's, I think why we connected is and stayed in touch at the level that we have, even though we're, you know, so far away from each other, uh, us being in Phoenix, you and the Denver or, you know, Boulder area is that entrepreneur space. Right. And so now that you're, you know, have obviously a key role for the, the, the number one real estate team in all of Keller Williams. Right. I mean, which is, which is number two. Oh, number, number two. two. My, my bad. <laughs> one of the top you're ones getting right? there yeah hey if you're coke or you're pepsi either way it's, it's yeah either way you're crushing it good day yeah <laughs> so to start that off for us right like i mean kind of give us a walk in that journey if you would like you know from running your own team having the the va account uh in colorado where you absolutely demolished it going and being a bold coach within keller williams and then you know, starting your own brand. And then now next thing you know, you're running with somebody else's brand, which for me, I know that would be a mindset shift. What talk to us about that. Yeah. By the way, real yeah. quick, right before you hit, uh, Sean, my first experience of you was uh, bold and you were the, you were the facilitator. And I'm like, man, this is a bad dude. You just totally sucked me in. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I started my career back in, 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 uh, 94, I actually started in real estate with Carlton sheets tapes, how to buy houses. No money. Yeah. Down. That, that was ours. <laughs> That's what got That's us what into got real us estate. Into Carlton sheets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and and uh did you guys were you did you guys have success with it were you able to buy any houses nobody oh, yeah. Down? Yeah, yeah we did yeah, we, we did. bought a couple uh, yeah. but yeah we were living in germany and got a hold of carlton sheets tapes and we were coming back to the states needed careers and we're like, like we're gonna do real estate yeah yeah that that's awesome great. right good times well, yeah yeah so i got mine at 19 i started door knocking and i ran into a real estate agent she's like man if you're willing to do this you would kill it you should get into real estate <laughs> and uh so i got licensed at 21 and uh, I did 72 transactions my first year. Crushed so, it. Wow. Yeah. It, it was nuts. It was nuts. Now, I don't remember. Did, did you stay door knocking that, that, like that first year? I mean, because that was so. <laughs> no. I mean, that's what it took back then. <laughs> no? No, he was showing no. houses and selling them. Because, yeah, uh, on some level. Yeah. No. So what was funny is she had an ad in the newspaper that said, buy a house, no money down. And she was using down payment assistance programs. Ah. And she was a property manager and she figured out how to run ads in the for rent section instead of the for sale section. So as you're reading houses for rent, you come across the, uh, an ad that said, why rent? But you can buy a house for, for $800 down, 500 bucks a month, or $500 down, 800 bucks a month. And her phone rang nonstop. Yeah. So, you know, mm. so for me, I would take the calls, convert them, show them houses, write the contract, and get, I got paid 500 bucks at closing. That was my, 
But, you know, for me, you know, I was, I was working at a pizza restaurant making 18 grand a year, $500 per closing. My goal was eight closings a month to make $4,000 a month. Right. Which was a lot of money in 94. That was a lot of money. Um, so, so yeah. So by the time I was like 27, I was closing 140, 150 transactions a year, 30 under 30 realtor magazine, those kind of things. So I was in the hall of fame at Remax at 24 years old. Nice. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's cool. So, uh, yeah, so, so I did that. I was a top producing agent. And then I, as, as we shared, I went to the brokerage side, went to Keller Williams, became a bold coach, a franchisee. I left, started my own coaching business and real estate brokerage. Mm -hmm. And then um, recently I just joined up with uh, the Sarah Reynolds network and she's in, she's in Virginia, Washington, DC area. And she runs an expansion team under the Keller Williams brand. And she's expanding through States through other top producing agents. And it just so happened that when I, um, you know, I was, let's say I was available at the time and um, she partnered with a good friend of mine here in Colorado named Gay Ribble and Gay sold about, about 180 units in 2020 and uh, just by herself on her team. And she partnered with Sarah, Sarah put on the gas with her marketing and advertising and we, we closed 277 units last year. So yeah, big jump. Big job. Oh, that's a almost a hundred units more. That's insane. In one year. In w- one year. So, so Gay came to me and said, "Hey, I need somebody to run the team." I was like, ah, "I'm really not interested." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always the way you start with negotiation. <laughs> not interested. Um, but once she shared with me kind of what the vision is, the growth structure, I really realized that you know the expansion team networks are kind of the future of brokerage. Um, I really believe that it's the best opportunity right now, I think, in real estate is to join forces with some of these expansion teams. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, and if you could comment on that because of like, what is it? What do you think the allure is to these expansion teams? What are they bringing versus, you know, oh, I'm going to go get my license and I'm going to crush it by myself. Yeah. Well, you know what is 20 years ago, you know, when I was a top producing agent, it was really easy to dominate the market, right? Because what I could do is I could just start increasing my advertising. And there was only a a limited areas that you could market, right? You had newspaper, you had radio, you had TV, those kind of things. And so I could just outspend somebody into the market. Well, today with Zillow, (laughs) you know, Redfin, Realtor.com, you really can't outspend as an an independent agent, right? You can't get ahead of them. Yeah. You know, so these expansion teams, by pooling our resources together and, and basically centralizing your services, right? So your marketing department, your ISA teams, your management and infrastructure teams are all one location. And then your marketing spend can be increased within the region that you're marketing. So here in Colorado this year, we'll spend over, our team will spend over a million dollars in marketing just in Colorado this year. Yeah. And as an individual agent or team, that's really hard to do. Well, we, we actually have recently attracted a couple of pretty mega teams within Zudilio to supply some of the cash offers because of the hook and the allure in that. And yeah, their, their budgets are over a hundred grand a month um, that that they're deploying into, to the marketplace. Buck 20. Buck 20. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it's, it is pretty amazing when you see, I, I mean, having that type of horsepower, right? Like most agents are happy to make a hundred grand a year, mm -hmm. let alone be able to spend that much on marketing per a month. Right. It, it's quite the, quite the feat. And I think most people when they, you know, they almost kind of compare themselves to like, um, you know, how do you, how do you race a jet when you're on a bicycle? Right? Uh, <laughs> How do you get on a runway? <laughs> exactly. How, how do I even get in the, the arena? Well, right. well, if you look at the average agent income, not, not realtors. So, so this is a mistake I think a lot of people look at is they look at the NAR statistics, the number of National Association of Realtors statistics against the number of closings that they have. And that statistic is showing still around eight to 12 transactions per year per agent. But if you look at licensees versus number of closed units nationally, the average agent's closing two and a half transactions a year, right? And they're on a split, right? They're, they're paying a big portion of that out. They have their taxes and their expenses. So the in, average income per individual agent is dropping dramatically. It's, mm -hmm. it's gone down over the past five years. Which is kind of interesting too, because, you know, I mean, we're obviously massively into to national data. Um, I know, Kayla, you, you constantly, you know, from a coaching standpoint or, or you know, studying, studying national data, like I think it was what, like 1.6 million transactions um, or no, 6.1 or oh, am I, do I have my numbers transposed? Yeah. You're thinking realtor count. Yeah. Realtor, realtor count. count is, is approaching, I think 1.6 million yeah. transaction mm -hmm. count was well over 6 million. Yeah. There we go. And everybody says there's no inventory. There's no inventory. There's inventory. It's just not sitting on the shelf. It's <laughs> gone. It's like the grocery store shelves. When you yeah. see those Encrustables, you better grab them because they <laughs> won't be there if you go around the, the grocery aisle again. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think there's an increasing number of properties that are being sold off market. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. For sure. And even with what's going on with the iBuyers, you know, you look at the Zillow iBuyer report and they said that 70,000 homes sold to iBuyers last year, yeah. right? Doubled from 2021 or 2020. And what I find really fascinating is a fifth of those are being farmed out to institutional buyers. So we're, we're seeing these yeah. head funds and these REITs grow their portfolios and we're not seeing those homes come to market. So anything affordable. And I know in Colorado, Fort Collins is huge in iBuyers. I know Boulder mm -hmm. and Denver uh, also good iBuyer market share, but you guys definitely have a lot of iBuyer activity happening there in Colorado. Yes, we do. <laughs> And I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing. I think that there's, there's some scary things that go with that, right? Yeah. You know, like, I'll just jump into my fear, right? Is yeah. if you look at what was happening in 2006, 2007, 2008, um, you know, there was a lot of people speculating because money was easy, right? You had 80, 20 loans, no income verification. So everybody went out and bought houses and speculated and it was driving the prices up because people were buying them and putting them into the rental market, limiting the housing inventory. We're seeing appreciation, not like we're seeing now. We're seeing about 14% appreciation in our market during those times. You know, not 30% like right. some of these markets. I think my neighborhood went up 30% in a year, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but now my fear is, is that, they, that, that some of the institutional buyers, they're having access to massive worldwide money coming in. Yep. Because let's, let's face it, if you're in an unstable market, right? Let's say you're in, uh, you know, uh, Ukraine right now and you need to move your money, where you're going to move it is residential real estate in America is probably a pretty safe bet comparison to some other markets. So look, there's a lot of money being raised and they're speculating into residential real estate. Now, my question is, is if we hit a recession, 
Are they going to dump the inventory? That's a scary thought. Or are they going to own enough that it'll be too much of an asset where they will control a cycle, right? I mean, everything in general economics is based on supply and demand. And sure. if they can control the supply, they can control the demand. And so that's where one of my theories, right? And a lot of these guys that are institutional buyers, they, they're holding for that seven to 10 year window, right? So the, these are income-based properties. And that's the part that honestly scares me the most based on what, you know, in agreement with you is when you look at the rents that are going on, I mean, there's a lot, that's why they're focusing on so many of these markets. Yes, appreciation across the board went up, you know, double digits everywhere, right? And markets like Colorado, Arizona, Florida, whatever else, it was at the state as a whole was over 20, right? On average, well over. Yep. And when you talk about that rents only went up on average, you know, like almost, I think it was like 12%. And they're speculated to go up to like 15, between 15 and 20% in a lot of these markets, right? When a lot of the rents turn over and et cetera, which is why they're wanting to, to, to buy because of the cap rates, right? All of those types of things. And so I'm just very, very, very curious around, um, you know, rent, right? Like, are they going to try to step in and do more rent control, right? Get, getting to the nitty gritty of what I'm saying. I mean, I don't see that happening, but it's still just it's an institutionalization of the, you know, the greatest asset that makes America, America is very in interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting problem. And, and again, I'm not saying, you know, I am not a hater, right? Like people are like, <laughs> oh, don't use Zillow. They're going to, they're reselling. You know what? Use the resources that are available to you, right? Don't be stupid, right? Like back in 2007, we knew that 80-20 no-doc loans were a problem, right? But the challenge was, is if you meet a buyer and you say, no, you have to qualify and da da da, and you have, you have to have a front-end and back-end ratio, and you need to put, you know, you know 5% down, and then the buyer says, well, I'm just going to go buy with this other agent who is going to let me buy $400,000 house. You're saying 250 house. They're going to let me buy a $400,000 house and I'm not going to have to put any money out of pocket. We're in the business of sales. Like it or not, we make money when houses trade hands. <laughs> and it's not, we're not parents, right? We advise the customer, we'll let them make a decision, right? You know, if I was selling cars and a guy walks in and he's like, hey, I got three kids and a dog, but I want to buy a Corvette, I'm going to sell a Corvette. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we, we have to, that's, that's how we all feel. And that's why we pivoted to creating Zubilios because we agree, you know, you got to go where the demand is. Mm -hmm. I'm curious because with your extensive coaching, bold coach and uh, Inman top coach of the year, those are pretty impressive accolades. So I would love to kind of get your take on what you think realtors should be doing. You know, if I'm a realtor and I come to you for coaching, uh, what are you going to do with me to really, you know, expand my business? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Well, I, I don't believe in a one size fits all. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, my, my business really isn't very scalable, right? This is the problem with <laughs> my coaching business is, is it's not like everybody should call FISBOs and here's the FISBO script or everybody should call expireds and here's the expired scripts. And speaking of which, I mean, Elliot and I were, Elliot, Keith and I were ninjas with that back in the day coming out of the yeah. recession. Boy, did we kill. <laughs> we killed yeah, with those. But I, but, but I don't believe that everybody should call FISBOs and expireds. So I use the, I use the Myers-Briggs personality profile, the um, MBTI to identify, you know, what somebody's strengths are 
you know, and then I, I created four coaching programs based on their personality profiles. And then we work back through their personal strengths. So, you know, so if somebody is, um, you know, like Elliot, he's a ENTJ or ENTP, sorry, I remember that. <laughs> That's kind of nerdy of me. What, is, oh, what does that stand for? It e- stand for? ENTP. So extrovert, okay. right? Yep intuitive is n intuitive which is big picture so he's always looking for patterns searching for the next new thing okay t is he solves with logic over emotion okay or he'll put logic over compassion doesn't mean he doesn't have compassion it doesn't he has compassion he's just going to solve with logic first and then p is the creative side which kind of results in procrastination so he's going to do last minute things He's going to change his plan often, right? Does that sound like him? Yeah. Yeah. Scary. I was gone for a little bit and I come back and he's in a completely different arena. Yeah. (laughs) Which makes his role. But it's all creative. A new campaign, right? (laughs) A new funnel. Which makes his role on your team. That's where he's in a good spot, right? That's a good strength spot for him on the team because you guys are in an, in an industry that's so forward thinking that you need a leader that is looking even farther beyond, right? Not so far beyond that it's not possible because that's a problem with an ENTP is they can be so far ahead of things that it's like literally the technology is not there yet. Um, Steve Jobs is a good example of that. You know, there's a story that Steve Jobs literally drew out the iPad um, back in the nineties, he was like, this is what I'm going to build. And the technology wasn't even close at oh, that time, yeah. you know, and, and he worked towards it until it, until it came to fruition, but that was, he drew it before he got kicked out of Apple and started oh. next and then went to Pixar and did all that. And then he came back to Apple and built it. Built it. And I believe it or not, role. the iPhone was a part of the iPhone was a first step to building the iPad, which was his dream. So anyway, random. I love his story, that, that do, story. Do you remember what Keith's uh, personality profile I don't think, is? Yeah, you're teaching us something here. Do we ever do Myers? Do we ever do Myers Briggs on Keith? I don't know if no, we ever did. Uh-uh. We did. We I'm guessing stuff. Keith. If I, I, I don't remember his, but I I, think, I could look on my computer. I still. Have <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's introvert. Introvert over extroversion. Is that you think that's right, Keith? Yeah. Uh, in general, yeah, but it depends yeah. on the circumstance. Yeah, so the, that's one thing about Myers-Briggs that's different than um, other assessments is we all have an introvert and an extroverted preference, okay? So an ENTP, like Elliot, his extroverted preference is going to talk big picture. So he's going to talk about big things, right? His introverted preference is going to be thinking and logic. So he's going to, when he's by himself, he's going to be doing a lot of research, right? He might be writing or doing analysis of something, and thinking through the process on his own. And so, and he probably, I'm gonna guess this, enjoys his alone time almost more than his extroverted time. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. It's funny. Yeah. See that. I mean, many times they come in and I'll be writing in my journal. Yep. Yeah. So we all have an introverted and extroverted. I think your natural preference, Keith, if I remember correctly, is gonna be an introverted preference. Um, S, which is the opposite of intuitive, Intuitive is going to be looking for concrete structure, tradition, you know, the tried and true, right? So that's going to be opposite. And by the way, on this, we tend to attract people that are opposite of us because we know within our brains 
it's a survival technique to attract opposites because, because we know we have blind spots, right? So if we have people around us that have strengths that we don't, then it protects us. Now, the challenge is we get trapped in a paradox where we then try to train other people to think and act like we do, hmm. right? Which has causes tension, hmm. you know? Like when Elliot tries to get Keith Speaking to- Speaking my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. When Elliot tries to get certain people to give up their database or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Nobody's giving it. Wow. I'm not giving it, but you know wow. what I mean. <laughs> I just want to help you. <laughs> Wow, this is yep. good. Yeah. This yep. is good. I know it's like actually one of those things that we we should peel back. You know, it's funny being a part of like the KW World like right, where it was activity vector analysis, and mm -hmm. you have like uh, obviously the disc is is the one that most people are, are you know very aware of. But then you know you have your amiable drivers, analytics, and extrovert, right? Like you're mm -hmm. you're expressive. It's funny how you have all of these different little things, and where us as an organization. Um, we haven't really done that as uh, quite as much. I mean, I think you kind of like weren't learn and adopt that, but it's just funny how like that's such a core thing, um, you know, from a leadership standpoint, like, you know, doing those personality assessments and what people do under pressure and then not like, uh, like Keith was saying, well, in certain, in certain cases, right. And when you put pressure or stress in a situation, it's funny how so many people can just change. Yeah. Yeah. We flip. Mm -hmm. Yep. We flip. Like for me, I solve with logic, but if I get under pressure, I get super emotional. <laughs> You know, you hurt me. They did that to me. That wasn't fair. That's when you know I'm under stress for sure. Yeah, you're very much an, you're very much an inventor yeah. as well. So that that I definitely know about you. I think that that's the core of a lot of people who want to try to look down the pike and see what's coming. Yeah, and it's a curse though. On the other thing, you know, I mean, we totally talked about my varied career. Um, that comes from my inventiveness, right? My my desire for new and over the over the you know, what's over the next hill, which then doesn't, doesn't always bode well for, you know, building wealth over a long period of time by staying in a specific industry or task over time. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it can work against you. Yep. Totally agree. So, to, I mean, let's, let's kind of shift back on certain things. Tell us like what you see coming down the pike. So, I mean, I know, before, you know, in like the, you know, precursor call and whatnot, or you know, before we press record, um, we were talking about like platforms and those types of things. So talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I mean, obviously you guys are all about focusing on scale, 277 yep. units. You need to focus on what's scalable, what's predictable, what's duplicatable, surrendering to the numbers and ratios. You know, that's one of the reasons why I think you and I, you know, coached together. So, so long when you were coaching me is yes, I think a lot of us conceptually sur surrender to the numbers conceptually, but we don't actually do it. And yeah. you 1000% beat me over the head with that to the point of where I know we had some uncomfortable conversations mm -hmm. at the time where you're like, is this just emotional? Do you like the people? Because if they're not going to do their job, you need to get rid of them, right? It was conversations mm -hmm. like that where it's just like the numbers are the numbers. And Sounds if they are like not doing their job, then, then they're not the right fit, period. Yeah. What's yeah. more important, your relationship with them or your goals? Like, you know, those types of hardcore conversations. It hurts. Yeah. I mean, and... and you know, you can care for somebody if they don't work for you too, right? I mean, yep. it's not to be like, um, you made me sound really mean. <laughs> Just matter of fact. Well, my team probably feels that way sometimes. So, so to be clear, so the Reynolds Network closed um, 1,964 sides last year. Families oh, served, as, as we call it. Family served last year. So there is a lot. So when you talk about process and systems, 
that's all we talk about, right? And so the numbers are really important. Talking about what's coming around the pike, as you said, um, the reason you and I reconnected, if you recall, is because we're averaging somewhere between, um, I'd say 10 to 15 appointments per week, that most of which are listing appointments, okay, locally. Mm -hmm. And we're signing on the first appointment about 25%, within the first two weeks, almost 50%. So our conversion goal is 50% of, of appointments gone on our sign, okay, minimum right? If agents fall behind that, they have to, they, they get called to the carpet with me, right? We okay. sit down and we say, okay, what's going on? And is this the right fit for you? So, um, so the reason you and I reconnected is trying to figure out how to turn the other 50% of deals, which are people who, you know, their house isn't ready to go on the market. It's a situation where maybe they're a hoarder or, um, it's just not convenient. They can't have showings, whatever the reason is. How do we convert some of those? How do we convert some people who are just looking for an offer? Which I think is what one thing that the, um, the open doors and the orchards and these iBuyers that are marketing, that are advertising, are changing the perception to the customer about how to sell their home, right? Oh, I can just sell it. I don't have to show it. <laughs> oh, I can just click a few buttons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so my conversation with you was really like, how do we tap into this un, this, I mean, honestly, if I go back through the leads that we have just locally, we have probably close to 200 appointments that we went on over the past 12 months that we didn't sign. Right. Mm -hmm. And these are all, these are all revenue. This is all potential future revenue if we had a product or, you know, with a product like yours to go to them and say, Hey, we have a buyer that is, you know, we, we'd like to present an offer to you directly, you know? So, well, I so I think that that's an important piece. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Yep. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, my team obviously knows this. And I mean, in my coaching thing to our Zudelio community now, that is probably my number one thing I focus on is lead with the cash offer, pivot to the listing. Right. Because when you can give somebody a bona fide, here's your, here's your cash out price now, that's still going to give you the upside of the market, but here's also an honest, right. That's the key thing that where they're using our offer dashboard, here's an honest evaluation of what you could list and sell your house for on the open market. And more times than not, based on the data, they end up listing their house an overwhelming majority. Right. So I don't, we're not, you know, we're not kidding ourselves here and thinking that, you know, that uh, a lot, most people don't want the most amount of money right away. Right. Yeah. Which is what the market brings. Yeah. And when you can show somebody a say, you know, again, those more sophisticated agents where, Hey, through, you know, X and Y marketing strategy, not only am I going to get you this, there's a chance I'm going to get you twenty fifty thousand $50,000 more because of the shortage of inventory. That's the one thing we can't predict as professionals right now. I can tell you what your house is quote unquote worth. I can't tell you what it's going to sell for right. because of the demand of the market and, you know, et cetera. And when you can show somebody through a strategy of, Hey, give me two Saturdays to get this done. The, you know, the ball is in that, in that home. Two Saturdays. Why do you take so long? Yeah, <laughs> that, that's because well, because I'm erring on the side of caution. Yeah, Elliot would be in your office going, "Hey, is this the right fit for you, buddy?" <laughs> we always use the one Saturday. Yeah, and it's an hour and thirty minutes. Four days. I tell 90, four days. I need four days. Just give me four ninety days. minutes. Ninety minutes sold. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, and I think it's important to always have a niche, right? I think that's a mistake that real estate agents have is they try to be everything to everybody all the time, right? So, oh yeah, I, I work with buyers. I specialize with buyers. Oh no, I work with sellers. I specialize with sellers. Oh, um, well, what kind of sellers? What area? What type of homes? You know, what do you, what do you focus on? And the biggest mistake agents make in real estate is they try to be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be saying no to probably six, 60% of the leads that you have coming in. You just say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not the best agent for you. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a better agent because if your marketing is on point and you know who you are and what your value is to the market, it's easy to say no to those things. So one of my favorite analogies that I remember that you gave to me is we were talking about, uh, you used the metaphor of coffee and you said, circle K, you, you said, you said, how many, how many semi trucks do you see parked in front of a Starbucks? Right. I think was, is what you led with. And I was like, damn. And it just obviously resonated right away. Like they go to, they go to get their gourmet coffee at circle K, right? That's, that's their upgrade where you need to know your audience and that's who you're marketing to in, in that. And if you focus on that, it doesn't mean that you don't service the semi truck at circle K when they come into your living room, but you focus on what you're focusing on. And it's just the, it is amazing what happens with the power of focus. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah, I, I think, think it, I think the exact analogy was as truck drivers drink a lot of coffee. Right. (laughs) But you never see a a line of semi trucks outside of a Starbucks. Yeah. I was paraphrasing. That's a good one. I've never heard that one. That's a good one. That's a good one. So as we kind of, I guess, go down this here and land the plane, anybody got anything else? Um, I would be really curious though, on this around the systems, like going back to that, just because again, you know, with the, the iBuyer experiment and staying on, on, on point here and for being a part of such a well-oiled machine, what do you see, uh, coming down the pike when it comes to platforms, like, you know, these big teams adopting, having these instant offers, you know, so many coaches are talking about having these menus of options, whether it's the power buy, you know, turn that buyer to cash home trade-ins, you know, I know our, our cash offer plus is, is an extremely unique value proposition. Where do you see these menus that must, you know, menus of options that must exist in a platform? Uh, where, how do you see that coming into play with a lot of these mega teams and that type of stuff? Well, again, going back to, you know, speaking to the niche, right? Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of expansion teams and mega teams are generating off of buyer leads. And, you know, as you know, right now, you know, a buyer lead is, could be 18 months out. Um, the cost of them are going up. They're not going down. You know, Zillow is selling buyer leads upwards of $300 a lead. <laughs> you know, just that's a lead. That's not an appointment, right? That's, that's a, cheap compared to the flex. <laughs> it is cheap. Comp- well, but at least the flex is how many you get. Right. Yeah. yeah their, their flex leads are expensive. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. but arguably they're worth more, you know, they're yeah. worth more because it's, it's an actual person. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, so I think one is a lot of teams are too buyer focused right now. And they're probably, you know, I know teams that are laying people off. They're letting, cause they're calling me, right. They're people are calling me because they're starving to death and they're not making any money because they're so buyer lead focused they're writing 20, 30 offers, they can't get them accepted. So if you want to pivot to the seller side, you have to, you have to have a niche, you have to have a, some kind of offering that stands out to the customer, you know, and, and I think one of the mistakes agents make is they're afraid to promise something that they, that they think is um, um, over, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It, like to say embellished, right? They don't want to mm-hmm. come across embellished. And so having a program like yours where, you know, there is 
evidence to it. It does work. There are buyers there. They will buy, they will close. It's not saying that they're going to pay top dollar, right? It's not to say right. that they're going to pay asking price, but at least you can walk in and say, hey, I actually have a buyer who, who I'll bring you an offer within, within 48 hours. Right. Um, and I, I think it's a must. I, I, I don't even think in this industry right now, if you don't have that, you are Frankly, if you were a doctor and you didn't have a, a, the, the right technology, isn't that called malpractice? Right? Good point. Yeah. Oh Good point. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, your job as a doctor is to bring the best, latest technology to your patients. And that's the same that's true with us in our industry. Love it. Great point. Love it. Yeah. Good insights. This has been awesome, Sean. We just really appreciate your time. I would love to. I'd love to have you on and, and dissect more personality profiles. That was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they like that. You hit, you hit on the nugget there. <laughs> we could go deep. We'll just analyze Elliot. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. I'm going to go ahead and uh, dip out that day. <laughs> we'll bring his wife on. Does, yeah. does Elliot do this still? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's funny. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for, for being here. We appreciate yeah, uh, your time. We know how busy you are. Uh, wish you guys all the success. Um, you know, we love looking at, you know, let's, let's, let's get together and continue. Let's beat some Sunday out there. I know as one of your main competitors right. out there in that Colorado market. Um, good stuff. Thanks, man. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, right. Sean. Thanks, Thanks, Sean. You guys. See you. Bye. Bye.